comprehensive revealed prophetic uh, package which is the Quran so far as we know from before history from time immemorial human beings before even the homo sapien before the last of the series of evolution there was always this double quest one quest about existence about life eating sleeping security survival and there was always another quest as to who is behind it what is the meaning of it or the purpose of it do not be confused with what you and I as children have been given in childhood and as revealed also such as when Allah said be and everything became that's also fine it's perfectly understandable don't mix it up realize that there has been a biological growth of whatever it is five billion years from non-sentient from an explosive if you like non-matter into matter and into the earth and the planets when we believe or say or read Allah says kun fayakun Allah does not is not subject to time and space you and I are we measure and think in terms of time and space you want a meal you have to go and get the ingredients get a kitchen cook so it's not kunfayakun it's a lot of hard work especially for the ladies and not always even the men express their appreciation that's why you can't go wrong with any lady if you tell her you're really not appreciated she says of course I found somebody who now understands and keep the other fellow for few weeks he also like everybody else gets used to it and he forgets also. so we are subject to time and space we need to prepare do recycle eat go to the bath and so on whereas as far as the creator is concerned who has created time and space as a little capsule as a little if you like prison or exile there is no time and space. So for Allah it is kun, instant. Allah is not subject to years, centuries, or whatever. We are. All right? So accept the evolutionary side. Evolve. That consciousness of the child or the baby will evolve from babyhood to a bit of understanding to slowly adulthood and eventually maturity and hopefully awakening to the truth that there is none other than one 
And once you're beginning to not only have an understanding, but actually begin to see the one behind the multitudes, you then begin to quieten down and truly accept the situation as is and be joyful about it. Submitting to it brings about joy. If not, then something is wrong. Then there is, again, distancing. So before creation, there was no distance. There was no dispersion. There was total and utter unity. Even now, there is total and utter unity. But within it, there is this illusion of dispersion and diversion and diversity and two-ness and three-ness and pluralities. It's in order for us who have been programmed not accepting plurality, duality, multitudinous, time, death, so that we begin to search and seek that light that never ever changes which eventually is actually beaming from our own hearts. To begin with, we think it's outside. It's somewhere else, somewhere else, through someone else, and you think it is through the husband or the teacher or the this. Eventually you find all of those were minor, secondary, and often inefficient reflections of the light that was in you. That's the meaning of wherever you look, there is the light of God, or the face of Allah. Or that's the meaning of Allah repeatedly in the Quran says, there cannot be one unless Allah is with him and upon him. Allah is closer to you than your jugular vein, and, and, and. Now, from as far as we know, maybe 30, 40,000 years ago, human beings were wondering as to what is this thing? Somebody suddenly come and gone, and children are born and dying, and... And of course, the average age was very, very small, probably between 10 and 18 or 20. Because we know the average age at the time of Nabi Allah Ibrahim السلام, was not even 20. And that was 4,000 years ago. So we have this heritage in mankind from the beginning of that Homo sapien or the Homo erectus, which ends up as being homo sapien sapien as we are. You know, I'm not trying to give you a lesson in anthropology or in that, but we have to have a bit of an understanding that, you know, a few million years ago we were not as we are now. But man had always sought religion, has always sought roots from at least two million years, maybe three, maybe four, maybe more. But we know we have been looking for the answer. Why am I suffering? Why, am I, why have I pain? Why am I on a quest or searching? What is it do I want? What will give me happiness? What is the door to contentment? Why nothing in terms of quantity will give me contentment? And how can I keep involvement in this world in a healthy way and yet not be overwhelmed by it, crushed by it? 
uh, emotionally destroyed or distraught by it. How is it that something in me knows I am now less happy or more happy? Isn't that amazing? You know, there is something within each one of us is constant. Tells us now you are more disturbed or more angry. It's remarkable that something in us knows that you are now not well, etc. Or tired or less tired. So there is a constant in us. This quest of, if you like, a full understanding of these dynamics has been with us. Then we have, of course, the pre-Abrahamic notions and this great sudden occurrence, not that sudden either, but major occurrence in the Middle East by the Prophet Ibrahim whom we think was born in southern Iraq near what is called Ur. And that country at that time was more or less governed by a very strong outer king as well, whose name was Namrud. Babylon was already well developed as a city in the center. And these cities were very interesting. Like Ur, it was a city on the sea. And it had like a bit of a, uh, some of the Middle Age cities in southern Europe, like uh, Venice. The boats will come and go and dock right onto the street, and they come and take the goods and so on. So Ur was like that. And they had a number of deities, a number of gods. Those gods you need to regard as the divine attributes. A god of fertility, for example. If somebody wanted to have a fertile land or to have children, so they appealed to that energy of fertility. So there were a number of these temples. But I think the most famous of all of these gods was Sin, was god of moon, and for which they built a very huge pyramidal type of a temple in Ur. And so far as many of the historians lead us to that the Prophet Ibrahim was born part of a tribe that were nomadic but much more of herdsmen in that area, probably four or five thousand of them. So it was a sizable tribe. And for some reason they went up north to the, along the river Euphrates to what is now border between Turkey and Syria. And this was for them very easy, because they were nomadic, so they had no houses. They didn't have to you know, worry about the furniture and who is the packer or who is the unpacker. There were a few tents, and the ladies did most of the work anyway. There was already high specialization of labor. The men would do more hunting, the women would do more the housework, and between them they managed to evolve into the early, if you like, civilizations. And my estimate is that there were no more than 20 days from there to over a thousand kilometers to that area, to Haran. And that area was very important because it was in the trade route from wherever, from possibly China all the way to the Mediterranean. So anyway, the story of Nabi Allah Ibrahim is a beautiful long one. And also there are some 
theories that he actually would have, could have been born in Egypt. But anyway, all what I want to share with you is that the advent of the Prophet Ibrahim was a big event in that he came explicitly with the idea, thought, action, orientation towards the one all-encompassing creator, one God, encompassing known and unknown, seen and unseen, time and non-time, all of them. And that is what really was, if you like, the big effulgence of the Abrahamic thing. And then, as you know, he had his two sons. By the time, by that time he was in his early hundreds. And from the two wives, Ishaq and Ismail. And we are not told in the Quran as to which one of them he was going to be sacrificing. But in all probability it was Ishaq, who was the father of the Jewish tribes. There are many reasons and theories for that. These, so what happened at that time is that there was this sudden occurrence in the human kind of the West. I'm not talking about the East, because they had also their systems in what is now China and so on. It was fully alive at that time. They were high civilizations. And central governance as well, and many kings. But in this part of what concerns us, there was this major, if you like, Tawhidi, Unitarian, monolithic, because Ibrahim is the father of them all, in a sense, And then there were many others after that in the land of Mesopotamia and uh, what is Israel and North Africa and Egypt. Many, many, many patriarchs. Culminating also with Musa, So, the question of Musa and the Jews is a very, again, seriously questionable and difficult one for scholars, archaeologists, and all the time there are new discoveries, until very recently. Apart from the Dead Sea Scroll, the others and others, there are all the time new discoveries showing that Bani Israel were actually Egyptians. And they were not just an expelled people, so to speak. Uh, and people in that area mingled, intermingled, and there was a lot of tolerance also in their worship. We certainly know Nabi Allah Ibrahim salam, tolerated other people who wanted to worship other things. You know, it's never this high-handed, if you like, uh, ex excessive zealousness about whatever I believe is. Then, of course, we have Musa salam, and then we have others, and then we have Isa, and then a lot of linguistic, translational difficulties, and if you like, confusions. If you even now talk about the English language, you know, I have books that talked about people having going to travel books, which I enjoy, because they tell you about the country much more. 60-year-old travel books says, and we went to this country, and we had one gay party after another. I mean, that's only 50 years ago. I mean, read it now, one gay party after another, where it doesn't, you know. So, you know, were there so many gay people then? It was not. Language changes, the insinuation. So there are a great deal of semantic, linguistic, cultural 
changes that we take it for granted, you see. Uh, there's all the time change. People's mind, in people's habits, in people's dress, in people's... So, so you must make allowance for these things. And therefore, decadence, difficulties. It's not that they were all dreadful people and they twisted everything. And it happens. And then we have the advent of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, clarifying all of that. Neither he, nor Isa, nor none of these great beings ever said, I'm coming with something new. There's no such thing. You know, the Quran itself declares that there is no difference between them. Meaning, the essence was the same, that there is one power, one light, that produces all the shadows, which are alive by its courtesy, in order to realize it. Allah is created to be known. As simple as that. So we are the recipients, if you like, of a highly distilled and highly concentrated, if you like, portion for awakening in consciousness. And when it started also, it devastated the instrument through which it actually came and manifested as sound. The Prophet himself, وسلم, was immensely disturbed by this event that took over. Very high voltage of absolute truth in a relative scene. Everything you and I experience is relative. It's a bit better, a bit not. A bit this, a bit. You say a little bit out of breath, a little bit, a bit. But this is absolute. There's a huge difference between the absolute and the relative. So it is a reflection of haq. That's why we say it's the words of God. And as you know that nearly 40% of the Quran came in the early stages in Mecca. And that sort of percentage or that sort of revealed knowledge, the early surahs, the first you know, 10 years, mostly to do with anybody's quest, with the human quest for knowledge for awakening, for enlightenment, for appropriate religion, appropriate transformation. And then you had a community, you had society, so there had to be also laws and legal things that will bind people. Otherwise there will be chaos. You know, so in order to bring in a measure of stability as to what are your rights, your obligations, your relationships, who is going to do what. So. You have the Meccan surahs mostly to do with truth, haq, and addresses every human being. It's about Ya Ayyuhal Nas, all people. Whereas later on, it's more Ya Ayyuhal Muslimun, Ayyuhal Mu'minun, or that sort of thing. So it ends up addressing people who have committed themselves to the revealed prophetic, if you like, package. You say, look, I am a Muslim. I want to follow this path, so tell me what to do. So you're told that there are certain rituals, but these rituals have meanings. They are not just haphazard. You know, you stand, there is a meaning, what is the point of why? Do you make wudu? What, is, what are you doing by wiping your head? What does it mean? And, and people were transformed. That is why earlier on in Mecca also you found people who came to the Prophet, after a very short time, they got it. They, be they became different in a way. Their conduct, their thinking, their behavior. 
Not that many. But, you know, whoever came across that period, they were against all odds because the people of Mecca were vehemently against anybody coming to this young person preaching a new way. But, uh, you know, probably about 200 altogether by the time they left for Medina. Eighty-odd of them went for Ethiopia, and the rest were there. And so, but there was that transformation. They said, wake up. What is the meaning of death? Who are you? So they came in with conviction. Of course, later on in Medina, there came thousands upon thousands, especially the last four years. The majority or the large numbers came the last four years, especially three years, and particularly the last year, multiplied. And it was that sort of thing. And therefore, there were a lot of teachings, a lot of details that were not hammered out. So people came from deserts, from environments that were ex exceedingly tribal, and they could barely absorb the teaching. And then we have, later on, soon after the departure of the Prophet, a great deal of concentration to explain, expound the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet and the way of the Prophet. Because if you want to absorb the Qur'an, then you want to also know about those who have lived it. It's not just a recipe, it's actually a cookbook which also serves you the meal and gives you the nourishment of the meal. So it's a whole thing. So it is very important to put the whole thing in perspective. You can't just recite by, you know, by tongue. I uh, just come from South Africa where to the best of estimates, there are about 15 to 20,000 uh, South African Muslims who recite the Quran by heart. The Muslim population in South Africa is small, it's not even half a million people. But they have a very high, if you like, profile, much higher percentage influence on the country than the other minorities. Hawa is here. She represents that mostly Memons and other communities from India. And uh, they are very influential. And, but none of these Hafiz, I've been there for 13 years, I haven't come across one of them who understands the Quran. Uh, and it's mainly because the fathers who have neglected it, they want to have more status, so they send their children to these madrasas. And uh, they come out as a hafiz, so the father is very, say, alhamdulillah, I have uh, three sons hafiz, and I've built so-and-so mosque, as you know. You know, I am on the committee, and so they're Muslim by name. It's better than nothing, but what if you absorb it and internalize it and be transformed by it? It's a different thing. So, so I'd like to share with you this way of approaching the Qur'an of coming to it as truly reflecting an urgent, if you like, satisfaction of need and taking from it what you can absorb and internalizing it 
and then you can add more and more. It's like a, a very special diet. You know, you don't give uh, whatever uh, roast meat to a, a three-month-old baby. Some people may, but it's, it's, very, it's one of the many criminalities we commit. But <laughs> it's unfair. You have to take them first through liquid this, that, and eventually, you know, they can be, you know, foolish enough to eat raw meat or whatever. So, same thing with this sort of knowledge. You take from it what you can, absorb, and then move on. And that is why we have so many wonderful teachings that the Qur'an has many layers, many levels. Imam Ali describes for us seven different levels of the Qur'an. And many of the others also tell us about